Okay guys, um, so tonight uh, we're continuing on our series on tithing. And uh, should we as believers, are we New Testament believers, are we supposed to tithe? Is the tithe something that New Testament Christians, New Testament churches should be doing? Or is it something that's uh, part of the Old Testament system which has uh, passed away? Um, and tonight specifically, and, and if you haven't heard the first one, um, I would really strongly urge you to listen to the first one. Because just like anything else, we, we always try to kind of uh, lay a foundation with the things that we're teaching. And sometimes if you don't go back and listen to the original, you kind of get lost in the mix. So, so yeah, if you haven't listened to the first one, please go and listen to the first one. And uh, as I was saying tonight, we're going to be talking specifically about Malachi. Um, because every preacher, church, or denomination who teaches on the tithe will at some point um, teach Malachi 3. As a matter of fact, if you want to turn there, in Malachi 3, verse 8, Because, uh, again, if, if you go to a church that teaches tithes, if you have a pastor that teaches, teaches tithes, um, they will at some point um, come to this, these verses. And in verse 8, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will, you vine, will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. In verse 12, all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So, again, if if you belong to a church or your, your teacher teaches on tithes, at some point, he will come to this verse. Everyone that teaches on tithes teaches through these verses. And we're going we're, we're gonna to discuss that in length tonight. But what we're going to do is we're going to actually kind of go through the whole book of Malachi. Because, again, what happens is... What we like to do is we like to lift out certain verses that fit within our scheme or that fit our doctrines or fit our mindset or the things that we're trying to teach, the things that, that, if, that as long as we take these particular verses, they fit well with what we're trying to teach, with what we're trying to get across. But when, if you go back and look in context a lot of times, you see that that's not necessarily true, okay? And so what we want to do is we want to look at the whole book of Malachi and, and really see what the book is about and if there are things that tie into um, this discussion of the tithe and how they tie into the discussion of the tithe, okay? And so um, so there, there are many churches today that teach tithe. Um, some of them are well-meaning. Okay, um, they they mean well. They they they. It's this is what they have been taught. It, they, they may have gone to seminary. They may have 
uh, it may have been the church that they grew up in was all it has always taught tithes. And so this is what we've always been taught. This is what we believe. And we're passing this on to you. Okay. And, uh, and so like I, motives too, right? like I say, most of the people probably that teach this are well-meaning, right. but there are those people who are wolves in sheep clothing mm-hmm. who use specifically Malachi 3, those verses that we read to, manipulate. to manipulate people or to, uh, scare people. to scare people, to terrorize people into giving. And so we again we want to look at the scripture in context, not to lift it out of its context, but look at it in context and see what Malachi is talking to and see if in fact this applies to us as New Testament believers today. Okay? Um so number 1, we want to talk about who was Malachi written to. Uh So we looked at uh, Malachi 3. Look at it in verse 8. He says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Uh, But you are saying, How have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? Look at verse 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. You see that? So off the bat, we see that number one, he's speaking to a specific group of people. Turn to Malachi chapter 1. Verse 1. It says, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Do you see that? So, now, there are many things that in in the Old Testament... Now, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, I believe it is, that all the things in the Old Testament were written for our instruction. But... We have to, as as New Testament believers, we have to learn how to properly um, discern the Word, properly interpret the Word of God. The things in the Old Testament were many times types and shadows of spiritual. The things that happened to them were physical things that were spiritual realities for us in the New Testament, okay? So as an example, when, when we see Israel in the Old Testament, well... We know that in the New Testament, they're speaking to the church, right? Okay, and so we're just going to break all of this down and we're going to try to get a grasp on it. We're going to try to understand it and we're going to try to understand how Malachi applies to the New Testament church. But the first thing that we you have to do when you're trying to understand the scripture, you have to look at it in its original context, you have to see to whom was it written? How did they receive it? How did they think of it when they received it? Okay? And so when this was written, this was written to the Old Testament nation of Israel. Now, we all know Israel had, had its priesthood, its temple, its temple services, its sacrifices, all that kind of thing. Now, does that apply to New Testament believers? Okay, and this is these are the answers that we want to answer. The second thing that we want to talk about was when was the book of Malachi written? Now, Malachi is what is called a post-exilic book in that in 586, in the year 586 BC, Israel was taken captive into Babylon. Okay, 
essentially, there were there were three deportations to Babylon. Ba- Babylon came because of Israel's sins. God allowed Babylon to come, destroy Israel, wipe them out, wipe out Jerusalem, and take all their people captive back to uh, back to Babylon. Okay, and so. Essentially, what they did is they came and they took the people of Israel and, you know, and and after about 70 years or so, um, God allowed them through through Cyrus to return back to their land. Okay. And so essentially, and this is where it's good to know some history, right? Especially to, to know biblical history and to know some of the history of the Old Testament and what happened. So... Essentially, again, because the thing is, is the prophets over and over were sent to Israel to tell them to repent of their sins, to turn from their wicked ways. Otherwise, God was going to judge them. And that's exactly what happened in 586. God judged them, allowed Jerusalem to be destroyed, allowed their temple to be destroyed, and they were taken captive to Babylon. Okay, so after they were there in Babylon for for. Uh, about 70 years or so, God had mercy on them and he allowed them to go back into the land of Israel. Okay? And this is what the book of Ezra is about. This is what the book of Nehemiah is is written to. This is what the book of Zechariah, the people that uh, the book of Zechariah is written to, the book of Haggai, lots of books like that are written after the people had come back into the land. Now, the people had been back into the land about approximately a hundred years or so. And so what we're, what we're looking at in the book of Malachi is a people who had returned back into the land. They had been in the land for about a hundred years. They had rebuilt their temple they had reinstituted their sacrifices, the priesthood, all the Levitical system, all that kind of stuff. They had reinstituted. And so this is where we're at in the in the book of Malachi. This is a, a hundred years or so after they came, came back into the land. Okay. The third question, why was the book of Malachi written? Uh, the people in the book of Malachi were a lot in some senses like the people in the book of Corinthians. And we, uh, we've talked about this before. Um, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he was addressing a lot of problems. These, these were um, the people of God that had lots of problems and stuff. And in the same kind of way, but just in different ways, the people in the book of Malachi had a lot of problems. Right, not a, sin. <laughs> a lot of things that they were dealing with, a lot of things that God was speaking to them about and, and telling them, look, you need to get this right. Because once again, over and over throughout the Old Testament, God sent prophets to his people to warn them to stop sinning or he would judge them or curse them. Which he finally did in 586 by, by uh, allowing the Babylonians to destroy them. Now they had returned back into the land and they were starting to practice some of the same exact things that got them sent into uh, to Babylon. Um, things such as oppressing the poor. Um, um, you know, there was no justice in the land. You, you read all throughout the prophets. 
um, how there's no justice and how, how rich people were able to bribe judges and important people and, and win court cases and things of that nature and take advantage of the poor and, and, and the downtrodden and things of, the, uh, of that nature. Um, there was also intermarrying with the surrounding, surrounding nations, which, uh, w- which caused them to worship foreign gods or idols. Right. This is all throughout the Old Testament. Even Solomon married foreign wives and it talks about how they took his heart away from God and and Jezebel and all these all these um, peoples that God told through through Joshua. When you go into the land, do not intermarry with the people, because if you do, they will take your hearts away from me. And that's exactly what happened. And now this is happening in the time of Malachi. Okay, and so they started worshiping foreign gods, and rather rather than worshiping Yahweh and obeying His commandments, they were disobeying Him, and they were not treating Him with the worship, fear, and holiness which He deserved. In other words, they were living double lives, right? They were like a lot of Christians today, and they, they go to church, they do the religious things, pay their tithes, do religious stuff, but you know, throughout the week, they can hate their neighbor, or they can, you know. Um, watch pornography or or whatever, all kinds of things, right? So, again, we're just going to go through the book of Malachi. Turn to Malachi chapter 1. Because the whole thing about it is, is chapter 3 is not the only chapter in Malachi. And so you cannot focus on one chapter in this book to the neglect of the rest of it. And in Malachi 1, we'll start in verse 6. It says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you? So again, God is rebuking his people, right? Through the prophet. He says, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? Now, this is just like, you know, have you ever gotten to, you know, you try. This is like a proud person, right? You, you see some of the things that someone who's really proud and arrogant is practicing and you try to confront them on it. And they're like, what have I done? You know, show, show me how I'm wrong and stuff. And no amount of words that you can say to them will convince them. And this is exactly, <clears throat> excuse me, this is exactly what the people of Israel are doing. What have we done? God is sending a prophet to them to expose their sins. And they're like, we haven't done anything. All right. He says, um. In verse 7, he says, You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, How have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. Look at verse 8. He says, But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Do you see that? So he's saying that now, according to um, Exodus 12, Verse 5, Leviticus 1 and Leviticus 23, when you brought a sacrifice to the altar, it was to be an unblemished male lamb without defect, without any fault, without any blemish. And so in the book of Malachi, they're bringing just whatever they can. You know, it's like, well, we got this lamb that's half alive, but, you know, it'll make a great sacrifice. And they were bringing roadkill. Yeah, you know, and so the thing is, is they're despising the Lord. Yeah. The Lord, and the thing is, is, 
you brought a holy sacrifice because number one, this was representative of, of Jesus, right? The ultimate sacrificial, spotless, perfect lamb. And so the things that they were doing were pictures, shadows, and types of the fulfillment that was to come into G, uh, in, in Jesus. And so when, whenever they were to make those sacrifices, they were to, to, to see in the sacrifice the perfect lamb that was coming to take away the sin of the world. But instead, they're just bringing any old sacrifice that they can get. And they're just bringing any kind of lamb and just thinking that God's going to be pleased with it. Right. In other words, their worship is half-hearted. Yeah. They're not taking God seriously. They're not taking the things of the Lord seriously. They're just like offering whatever. Here you go, Lord. Here's my scraps, right? And honestly, a lot of us do the same thing sometimes, right? We give the Lord our scraps. Well, Lord, I'll, I'll give you this or I'll give you that. But the, the point being here is that the fact that they weren't giving, that they weren't tithing in Malachi 3 was not the only problem that these guys had. Okay, that was just one of many problems that they had. All right. Um, look at verse nine. He says, but now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us with such an offering on your part? Will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Look at this in verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. Look what the Lord says. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering for you. God's saying you can bring your worthless, half dead, the sacrifices, the, the animal that you don't want. And isn't that what we do, too? I mean, I'm, I can't tell you how many times churches will take up like offerings for like poor kids at Christmas time or something like that. And they'll say, you know, bring, bring some clothes that are like gently used or some toys that, you know, are, are gently used and we're going to give them to these poor kids and stuff like that and stuff. And a lot of times Christians will take their junk, their garbage and say, here you go. Give this to the poor kids. Right. And that's, how we are sometimes we we give god just the slop the 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 junk that we don't want and we oh this is a great opportunity to get it out of our garage and we think that god is somehow going to be pleased with that that this is what god is requiring from us so again this is part of the things that are happening in the book of malachi and god's saying you know it's like, and we're like, you know, let's, we'll just go to church. We'll just do our religious things and God's going to be pleased with it. God says, I wish there was somebody who would just close the doors. Because this is the thing. If we can't think that like by doing, going to church, by doing religious things, they were somehow going to please God, right? And we can't think that just because I helped a little old lady across the street, but I live unrighteously in all these other areas, that God's going to be happy with that. That's why the whole picture of Malachi is important. Right. If you pull out just one certain thing, then you can feel justified. Oh, well, I paid my tithe, you know. Exactly. And, and, but but what, it, what is the other conditions of your heart? And that's the whole thing that we're getting at is that the tithe is not the thing, the whole, the, you know, it's not like God is only about the tithe. And if you pay your tithe, God's going to be happy. That's not it at all. 
He's saying these, all these things are things that you need to deal with, right? It says in verse 11, For from the rising of the sun even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is despised, and for its fruit is food is to be despised. Look at this in verse 13. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. Do you see that? And a lot of times with with like things such as reading the word of God, praying, getting together and fellowshipping with other believers, worshiping the Lord and stuff. Sometimes we're like, oh, it's so tiresome. It's so hard on my flesh, right? Continuing on. He says, look at this. He says, starting at verse 13 again, and you also say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. Look at this. And you bring what was taken by robbery, what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. I mean, how would it possibly, how could it in any kind of world, in any kind of sense, be pleasing to the Lord that you sold a lamb from somebody else and offered it to the Lord. Here, God, here's this perfect, even if it's the most perfect unblemished lamb that anyone has ever seen, if you stole it from somebody else, how is God going to be pleased with that? And so again, through the book of Malachi, God is dealing with hypocrisy, right? Verse 14, he, said, or he says, Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? He says, but cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. You see that again? So these people are like Ananias and Sapphira, right? Ananias and Sapphira went in, in the New Testament, bought a field. They sold it, but they kept back some of the money and they told the apostles that they sold it for the full amount. And God struck them dead because of it. And the same thing is happening here. These some of these and people and have Paul said they didn't, he didn't even have to do it. Basically. Yeah, it was, they didn't have to. It was there for pretense. They were, you know, giving an offering so they looked good, but in reality, their hearts were not in it. And that's what the people here in Malachi are doing for pretense. They're bringing an offering, but their hearts not really in it because they're bringing the worst of the worst. Yeah. And the thing is, is according to verse fourteen, it sounds like they had perfectly unblemished male sheep to offer in their to flock that they could have offered but no they're going to give god their scraps yeah they're going to give god the 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 ones that are dying the ones that are you know the ones that are worthless essentially in second samuel 24 verse 24 david wanted to buy a place to build the temple and the guy named aruana was going to give it to him for, for free, essentially. And David says, I will not offer unto the Lord my God that which cost me nothing. And so the thing is, is again, we, we have a God who has done so much for us, right? And we are not saved by our works. There's nothing that we can do to be saved. But, you know, it's just like the lady with the alabaster jar. It says, he... She, who loves much, or he who has been forgiven much, loves much. 
And we have all been forgiven so much from the Lord. And there needs to be some kind of reflection in our giving towards the Lord. And here's the thing, guys, and especially in the New Testament church, we give everything to the Lord, right? So we can't, you can't uh, bring your our giving down to this 10%. Well, you give this 10%, this measly amount to the Lord, and, and he's fine with it. And the thing is, is you also cannot just regulate it to money. God also wants our time. He wants our devotion. He wants our thoughts. He wants our hearts. He wants everything from us, right? When if I if I if I do something nice for my neighbor, if I help them build a fence or if I if I take my time that that I would rather be doing something else and I help them, uh, you know, fix their car or something like that. Is this not an offering to the Lord if I'm doing it in the right spirit, in the right heart? Offer your body a living and holy sacrifice. Yeah. We are to offer everything to the Lord, not just this measly 10% of anything, whether it's our time, whether it's our devotion, what, whatever, right? And so, and this is, this is the problem of it was when we start relegating it to this amount. Imagine if you're Elon Musk and you give 10% of your finances to the Lord. To, to attend the church. <laughs> you know, I remember Ted Turner gave a billion dollars to the, uh, 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 United Nations, I believe it was. And the world was like, whoa, look how much money he's giving. You know, for someone that has that much money, that's not that much money. Or I think it was a million dollars, not a billion. But for someone that has billions of dollars, a million dollars is not that much money, right? Whereas, remember remember the lady that put the, the, the mites into the treasury? And Jesus said, that woman gave more than anybody. She gave a hundred percent, right? Okay, moving on. So in yeah, chapter one, chapter two, verse uh, two. I'm getting to chapter okay. two. In chapter one, they're they're offering God sacrifices that are worthless, essentially sacrifices that would probably you know just die out in the field if they didn't offer it as a sacrifice when God had asked from them their best. So we're going now to chapter 2, verse 1. So in chapter 1, who's he talking to? He's talking to all of Israel, right? In chapter 2, he says, And now, verse 1, this commandment is for you, O priests. So now he's speaking to the priesthood, okay? He says, If you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart, to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings... And indeed, I have cursed them already because you are not taking it to heart. Now, didn't we see in Malachi 3 that it, he says you're cursed with a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me, right? Yeah. But that's not the only place in Malachi where it talks about people being cursed. Yeah. In verse 3, he said, Behold, I am going to rebuke your offspring, and I will spread refuse on your face, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence, so he feared me and stood in awe of my name. Now, look at this in verse 7. For the lips of a priest 
should preserve knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Look at this in verse 8. But as for you, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So again, the priesthood, instead of teaching the truth about the fear of the Lord, the truth about God as a God of holiness and righteousness, and he in in and he he hates wickedness, he hates falsehood, he hates lies, he hates all these things. Now they're watering down the word. They're watering down the message. And again, this is one of the things that caused them to go into captivity in the first place. Over and over throughout the, the, the books of the prophets, you see how God would raise up a true prophet who would try to turn the people from their wicked ways, from their falsehood, from their idols, from their idolatry and their, their, their sins. And all kinds of false prophets would say, no, the Lord is with you. The Lord is pleased with you. The Lord is a God of grace and mercy. He doesn't see your sins. He just sees the blood. And because the people listened to the false prophets, they were destroyed. And so Malachi is coming to these people and he's telling them, this is what got you people destroyed in the first place. Don't go back to that. And them going into captivity, was that part of the curse that they, I mean, like that was... It was the curse. It was the curse. So when he's saying that he's going to curse them again, if they don't repent, that means they'll probably go back into captivity again, basically, right? Yeah. Verse 9. So I also have made you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but you are showing partiality in the instruction. Do we not all have one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously each against his brother so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah, now he's talking about Judah, which is essentially all the people in Israel now, because uh, essentially the northern tribes were lost when they were taken into captivity, and the people that came back were from the tribe of Judah, okay? Verse 11 again, Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of of a foreign God. As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob everyone who awakes and answers or who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. This is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Now, again, we have a God who lives with us in real time, who acts and reacts a lot of times according to the things that we do, right? This is not a God who before the foundation, before the creation of the world, um, planned everything that would ever happen. He planned that Israel was going to sin against him, that he was going to have mercy on them. They were going to sin again. He was going to have mercy. They were going to sin again. He was going to have mercy. He never planned for that to happen. 
This is a God who lives with us in real time, and he's begging the people through the prophet, please don't do these things. And he's in, in chapter 13, it says, he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. He is angry with the people. We have a God who gets angry. Our God is not this, this wooden stone that's idol that the nations worshiped he's not this god that's unfeeling untouchable and, and and just holiness doesn't mean that he's this emotionless god that cannot be touched with our emotions or cannot be touched by our sins or by our love or whatever it is it is a he is a god who is with us god with us the i am emmanuel he walks with us and he wants us to walk with him. He loves us with all of his heart and he wants us to love him with all of our hearts. And it wounds him. It hurts his feelings when we don't. Verse 14, yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against, you, uh, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your can companion and your wife by covenant but not one who has done so not one who has done so who has a remnant of the spirit and so essentially what was happening and again if you go to the book of nehemiah and ezra what was happening is the people were divorcing their wives and again they were marrying foreign wives because what happened is when they got taken into captivity you had people from all these other nations coming into the land and and living there i mean basically you cre you create a vacuum right you come and you take people out but they're still the foundations of the houses and things like that and people like you know see it as a great opportunity to move in and so what happened is all these other these other gentile nations had moved into the land of israel and what was happening is that people were divorcing their wives and marrying these foreign women and again they were leading their hearts away from God to worship their false gods to worship their idols and these things are again the things that got them destroyed in the first place and God was very grieved because of the way they treated the, their wives this is yeah. the, the, because you've sinned against the wife of your youth though she is your companion and your wife by covenant so they they looked at the pretty foreign women and just thought, oh, just toss my wife to the side. Yeah. And in verse 16, this is where when Jesus, Jesus quotes this scripture in Matthew, he says, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Remember when the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Lord, is it okay to divorce my wife for any reason? And Jesus said, no, uh, the only reason that you can divorce your wife is for uh, unfaithfulness, essentially. In other words, Jesus was telling them, and, and this is the thing, in ancient Israel, in, uh, in the Old Testament, and even into the times of Jesus, the man had all the rights. The man could divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever. If she burned his toast, he could divorce her. And she had no recourse. And once a woman was divorced, she was she 
she unclean. She couldn't take care of she, herself. She, they didn't have social security. They didn't have benefits and things of that nature and stuff. It, there was n nothing that a divorced woman could do. And many divorced women turned to prostitution because that was the only thing that they could do to live. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus is exposing their hypocrisy and the same thing that was happening in the book of Matthew with the Pharisees is the same thing that's happening in Malachi. They were divorcing their wives, casting them out in the street, and these women many times for doing nothing wrong and stuff. And, and now they had no way to live. And God was seeing this and he says, I hate divorce. I hate it because you are treating these women wrong. Yes. Again, so many times Christianity is is accused of being misogynist and you know and in a lot of places because of misunderstanding of the word of God, I'm the man, you're the woman, you, you got to submit to me. Jesus set women free. God set women free. And there's not to be and we as Christians are to be the most loving husbands and to treat our wives with honor and respect. And the Bible says, if you don't do that, your prayers can be hindered. And so again, God is exposing that. So uh, verse 16 again, he says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. You have wearied the Lord with your words. You say, how have we wearied? How? Sorry, I can't speak English tonight. How have we wearied him? And that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where's the God of justice? So again, they're making good evil and evil good. They're flipping the tables and stuff. Verse chapter 3. So, again, the things that are happening in the book of Malachi are, they're, they're got lots of junk going on, lots of garbage, and God is dealing with all these things. And one thing is not worse than the other, or nor is it better. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying, uh, what I'm saying is that God's not saying, I'm going to, I'm going to curse you for not tithing, but I'm not going to curse you for just divorcing your wife for whatever reason. Or I'm not going to curse you for bringing me these lame, sick, terrible, disgusting sacrifices. Yeah. He's saying all these things yeah. are things that are making him angry. Yeah. And it's the accumulation of these things also. It's like, you, you know, it's like you, God is getting fed up and frustrated with these people because everything that they're doing, it's like they're doing it to antagonize him. Mm -hmm. And he just wants to love them. He wants to pour out blessing on them. He wants to, to shower them with love, but they're not allowing it by their actions. And they have a real heart of pride and defensiveness because in every single chapter when it's they're yeah. always like, like, well, how are we this? Or how yeah. are we robbing you? Like, how did we do that? How are we offering lame sacrifices? And right. they're acting all innocent. And they, he does that. They do that in chapter 3 as well. Yeah. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, 
Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as smelter and purifier of silver, <coughs> Excuse me. and he will purify the sons of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings of righteousness. Now how is he saying this is going to happen? Through judgment, through burning. God is going to come and judge his people. Verse 4, Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the wage earner and his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So all these things were happening. And God saying, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to come and cleanse my house. He says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. He says, From the days of your father, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? So again, it's just like, Amy's saying is like every time he tries to say something to them, they're like, what? What are we doing? We didn't do anything. What? All right. Now let's go into verse eight. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? There it is again, right? What did we do? He says, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Now, we're going to kind of recap ties. Now, turn to Numbers chapter 18. Now, if you listen to last, the message that we did last time, you know that the tithe was never, ever, ever money. The tithe was produce and animals that they brought to the temple, to the Levites. And we're going to see it in Numbers chapter 18. And so, and here's the thing. If we're going to take these things and apply them to the New Testament church, we're going to need to bring lambs to the church that, that our pastor is going to have to sacrifice. We're going to have to bring all, you know, 10% of our corn, 10% of our wheat, and never money. And sin offerings. <laughs> right? Because, again, the tithe was not money. It was never money. And so you can't take a part of Malachi and say this applies to the New Testament church, but we're going to disregard everything else where it's convenient. And this is exactly what's happening. We take what sounds good, what fits our, 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 um, our box, what fits our agenda, but the things that don't fit, we just kind of conveniently sweep them under the carpet. You can't have one without the other. In uh, Numbers chapter 18, verse 21. 
He says, To the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service, which they performed the service of the tent of meeting. The sons of Israel will not come near the tent of meeting again, or they will bear sin and die. Only the Levites shall perform the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and among the sons of Israel they shall have no inheritance. Do you see that? When the tribes of Israel came into the land, each tribe was allotted a certain amount of land saying, this will be your land, this will be your portion, settle in it, raise cattle, raise sheep, raise whatever, this is your land to do with what you want. The tribe of Levite, the tribe of Levi got no inheritance, got no land. Now, the priests didn't either, right? The priests were of the tribe of Levite. So the priests got nothing either. But here's the thing. If you're going to use the tithe in the New Testament church, this means that preachers cannot own any land. You cannot own your house. You cannot have a business outside of the church. Everything that you do has to be for that church. You have to be fully supported by that church. And you cannot do anything else. You cannot own any land. Now, I wonder how many preachers who preach tithes would be willing to sell their land, to give up their land, because... They're not allowed to have it. He says in verse 24, For the tithe of the sons of Israel, which they offer as an offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore I have said concerning them, they shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, you shall speak to the Levites and say to them, what, When you take from the sons of Israel the tithe which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present an offering from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. So the tithe of Israel went to the Levites. Then the Levites did a tithe which went to the priests. Okay? Verse 27, Your offering shall be reckoned to you as the grain from the threshing floor, or the full produce from the wine vat. So you shall also present an offering to the Lord from your tithes, which you receive from the sons of Israel, and from it you shall give to the Lord the Lord's offering to Aaron the priest. Out of all the gifts you shall present every offering due to the Lord from all the best of them. Again, God was wanting the best, not your sheep that's just falling, can't even stand up because it's about to die. He says, from the best of them, the sacred part from them. You shall say to them, when you have offered from the best of it, then the rest shall be reckoned to the Levites as a produce of the threshing floor and as a product of the wine vat. You may eat it anywhere, you and your households, for it is your compensation in return for your service in the tent of meeting. You will bear no sin by reason of it. When you have offered the best of it, you shall not profane the sacred gifts of the sons of Israel, or you will die. Okay? Yeah. So, again, a couple things is that the tithe was not money. The tithe was produce. The tithe was wine. The tithe was animals that were sacrificed and given to the Levitical priesthood. Now, one other thing. So, the tithe was given to the Levites. Now, there's another thing here. The Levites were... The ones who assisted the priests. Now, again, the Levites gave a tithe of their tithe to the priests. But the Levites were those who, pre, who 
did the medial work of the temple service, right? They were the ones that um, led the worship. They were the ones that carried the Ark of the Covenant and the uh, tent and, and things like that when they were on the move in the wilderness. They were the ones that prepared the sacrifices. They they um, skinned the sacrifices. They would take the intestines and the um, the dung and things like that to the outside of the city and burn it. They're the ones that cleansed the temple. They were the ones that did all the menial work, right? Now, if you took this to the New Testament, this would be the people who mowed the yard. This would be the janitors. This would be the people that clean the offices. This would be the people that shampoo the carpets. This would be the people that lead the worship. And in a large churches, the worship leaders do get paid. But in most churches, it's strictly volunteers. And especially for the drummer or the bass player, the people that aren't yeah. the worship leaders, right? Yeah. But according to the Old Testament pattern, it was all the Levites who received the tithe. It wasn't just to the priest. It wasn't just to the pastor. It wasn't just to the worship leader. But it was for all those who did the work of the service of the church, if you will. Now, how many churches would be willing to give all their tithe to the groundskeepers, to the janitors? Okay? To the electricians. The Again, to the nursery workers. If you're going to take part of this, you have to take all of it. Okay? But, and I challenge you, if you believe this, if you're a pastor, if you're a church that teaches this, you have to reconcile that. Because the tithe was given to the Levites, those who did the menial work of the temple. And, then and out of that, that they gave a tithe to the priests. It was a tenth of a tenth to the priests. Yeah, it was a tenth of a tenth wasn't even the tithe. So verse 9 and so Malachi 3 again when when we talk about Malachi 3 we're we're talking about something that was a part of the Old Testament Levitical, sacrificial, priesthood, temple system. system. Okay? It was a part of the law. Mm -hmm. It was ingrained in the law. It was a part of the law. Just as much as sacrificing a bulls, goats, lambs, pigeons, doves, just as much as sprinkling blood, just as much as keeping the Passover, uh, wearing the phylacteries on your head, not shaving the corners of your head, leave, letting your sideburns grow long. Not intermarrying. Not intermarrying. All these things. The tithe was a part of that Old Testament sacrificial priesthood, temple, law, which has been done away with in Christ. Just as an FYI side note, Hebrews 7 talks about the tithe being a part of the law. If you have any questions regarding that. And the thing is, is again, you can't take part of this and not take the rest of it. 
And in Galatians, and again, Galatians 5, 3, Paul, writing to Christians who are going back to the law, said, Every man who receives circumcision is under obligation to keep the whole law. Then he said in the next verse, he says that if you have received circumcision to please the Judaizers, to look like a Jew, to look like a part of that Old Testament sacrificial system, he says you have been severed or circumcised from Christ. And in James 2.10, it says whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles in just one point of it is guilty of all of it. And so here's the thing. If you're if you're going to keep the tithe. And again, I, I, I fully understand that people who teach this for the most part are just people who have never studied it, who have never thought about it, who have never. I, I know that we once went to a church that as part of being a, a member of that church, you had to sign a document saying, yes, I will tithe. And stuff, and we talked to the pastor about that, and he he gave us no scriptures at all. And the thing is, is it's like you have to reconcile it if you're going to teach it, if you're going to if you are going to enforce this on people, you need to go and you need to look at it in its context, and see, test my words. Be a Berean. See if it is part of the Old Testament tabernacle system or not. Right? Because if I'm wrong, you know, do whatever you will. But there is a danger. And this is where I warn you. There is a danger in telling people that they have to keep a part of the law. Yes. Amen. Paul faced Judaizers all throughout his ministry. And he said, we did not submit to them for even one hour. And he said, these men snuck in to steal our liberty in Christ. Now, again, if you want to give 10% of your finances to the Lord, more power to you, right? That's a good thing. What I'm saying is that we, nobody should be able to put upon you a law saying you have to give 10% or any percent <laughs> or you're going to be cursed. So turn back to Malachi 3. Because here's the thing. Because in verse 8, it says, Will a man rob God? And, and this is why, especially the wolves, Especially who are those who are building their own kingdoms on this earth and are fleecing people left and right and using people for their own benefit and, and building mansions and, and buying jets and f expensive cars and $700 pairs of shoes and, and $2,000 suits and things like that. And, and, and things, they use these scriptures to, to, Manipulate. To manipulate you, to guilt you, to to fear you, mm -hmm. into giving to them, into giving to their ministries. Mm -hmm. Because in verse 8, it says, will a man, and the thing is, is they don't have to do it meaningfully. You know, again, people do this and they don't realize they're manipulating people. 
But it's like, how can you not be when you say, will a man rob God? You are robbing God. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Look at this. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now what happens is I've seen it done too. Is they skip over that you are cursed with a curse. I mean, they'll read it, but they'll keep on going and stuff. And they'll go to the blessing part. It says, if you give, I will open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing until it overflows. And I'll rebuke the devourer for you so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground and stuff. And they major on that part. And these same people in other sermons talking about other things will talk about there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, you cannot be cursed. And yet they teach this. How is it that you can be blessed in chapter verses 10 and 11? You can be blessed if you give, but you can't be cursed. Again, you can't have it both ways. If there is that blessing in verses 10 and verses 11, there is the curse in verses 9. And this are the, these are the scriptures that people use to manipulate people into building them mansions. They manipulate old people into reaching into their cans and grabbing this $100 that they have been saving for themselves. To give to them. These people that live like kings on the earth. They're wolves in sheep clothing and they are manipulating you. And they will stand before God. And they will experience judgment for it. Can I ask a question on verse 10? What does it mean so that there may be food in my house? So... And this is the thing that was happening. So it was the responsibility. Remember who the tithes went to. The tithes went to the Levitical priesthood, right? And so by not tithing to the priesthood, the Levites could not take care of the, the temple, right? They couldn't the Levites, it, right? and, and there's a, there was a scripture in uh, Nehemiah, Verse, chapter 13, verse 10. And again, re remember that Nehemiah was written around the same time that Malachi was written. It was written to the same people for doing the same things. In Nehemiah 13, verse 10, he says, I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them. What is that? That's the tithe. That's their food, right? Right, it's their food. He says, so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. So again, they were going, they were buying fields for themselves because they're not being supported by the people of God. And they had to get food. So that's why they needed, like, needed to go back home so they could get food because that, the people of God and were not That's why he them. says in Malachi, bring the tithes so that there will be food in my household. He says, so, and again, there... You know, we think that there's no money in the Old Testament. In the book of, uh, in, in the first five books of the Bible, I think money is mentioned 32 times. God could have had them bring money anytime he wanted to, but he didn't, right? 
Verse 11, he says, So I reprimanded the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. Verse 12, All Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. Again, same storehouse in Malachi, right? But that storehouse was there for... And the, the storehouse, because again, you hear preachers talk about bring the tithe into the storehouse as though like the, the tithe went to the church, you know. Well, the tithe, the storehouse wasn't the temple. The storehouse was a room in the temple or a couple rooms in the temple. It wasn't part of the temple service or anything like that. It was where they stored the food for the Levites and for the priests. He says, verse 12 again, All Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And in charge of the storehouses, I appointed, I appointed Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padiah the Levite. In addition with them was Hanan the son of Zachor and the son of, the son of Mataniah. For they were considered reliable, and it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. So again, what's happening in the book of Malachi is that the priesthood is not being taken care of. Is that why the what, temple was falling in disarray? Is because of that? Yeah, and that's the thing. Who were the people, who were the keepers of the temple? The Levites and the priests. Who were the ones that performed the, the sacrifices? The Levites and the priests. Now remember, the Levites, the priests, received the tithe from the Levites. So if the Levites aren't getting tithes, neither are the priests. Okay. So the temple is is the temple which had only been standing again for around a hundred years is already falling into disrepair. And if the and there and, and the sacrifices you cannot have sacrifices to God for guilt offerings for sin offerings you can't do any of that without a Levitical priesthood. And so if they didn't couldn't own their own land and they couldn't grow their own food or have their own cattle, so literally they would be hungry. If they didn't have the tithe, exactly. because they didn't have their own source of food. And so they were going somewhere else. They were going and getting their own land. And they're like, well, we've got to take care of ourselves because the people aren't taking care of us. So by default, the, and this is a lot of what is happening in Malachi 3. They, they don't care about the priesthood. They don't care about the Levites and stuff. They're just, they're not taking care of them. And they're bringing... Lame sacrifices. Yeah. So again, this is a picture of their worship. Their worship was just hypocritical, without any kind of heart, without any kind of love for God. And so when we read in Malachi 3, verses 8 through 12, it's all about them taking care of the Levites and the priests who were the representatives before God. And they weren't doing that. You see that? And they couldn't continue with the 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 offices and the sacrifices of the temple, which were necessary for cleansing of sin and all that right. stuff, if the Levites weren't there. Exactly. So, now, also keep in mind, for those who say that this stuff in Malachi is for the New Testament church, there were also two other ties. In Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 27, we won't read it, um, but there was a tithe that they brought to Jerusalem. The people partook of the tithes themselves. Not only did they share it with the priests, 
but they also partook of their own tithes. And it talks about if, if the distance is too far, you can take your tithe where you're at, and you can sell it for money. When, excuse, when you get to Jerusalem, you can sell it and buy the things that you want to sacrifice, the things that you want to partake of. Now, let me ask you this. How many churches will from time to time go, you know what? You keep your tithe for yourself this time, okay? Today, I want you to keep your tithe for yourself, and I want you to go out to dinner and worship the Lord with it. I want you to have a good time, feed your children, feed your friends, take care of people, and, and just have a good time before the Lord and just worship the Lord with it. Because again, if you take one part of it, you got to take the rest of it. I mean, read it. Read it. Deuteronomy 14, 23-27. They partook of their own tithe. As have, well as sharing it with the Levites. Didn't they have a tithe for widows and orphans and such? The third tithe. Every third year, the tithe went to the poor. Now, how many churches have you been in that teach tithe has said, this year, we're not going to give any of our tithes to the staff, to the church building, to any of that. We're going to give all of our tithes to the poor. All of it. Not just a part of it, but all of it. I've been a Christian for 30 years. I've watched, I've read lots of books, watched lots of videos from preachers far and wide. Never heard of that happening one single time, much less every three years. Again, if you're going to keep the tithe, you've got to keep all of it. And it's hypocritical to keep a part of it, but not keep all of it. At the very least, it's self-serving. So, if you read the whole book, this is what we're looking at in context. We're seeing that number one, the tithe, the things that he's talking about in Malachi 3, is they're not taking care of the priesthood. Now, again, in the New Testament, we are to be givers. We are to be joyful givers. But again, we are to give according to as the Lord has told us to give, right? And it's not to be a law, nor is it to be begrudgingly. We're to give freely with all of our hearts to the Lord. And, you know, the thing is, is again, in, in the Old Testament, you see, like, again, this tithe to the poor people. Did they tithe off of that? Because it certainly doesn't say anything about that. So, this... It's just some teachings on the book of Malachi. And I hope that you'll take these things, that you'll pray over them, that you'll study these for yourself. Okay? These things are easy to study. I mean, it's just Google. What are the three types of tithes in the Old Testament? It's They're easy to find. But the tithes were, once again, they had money, but the tithes were never money. And the tithes were for the Levitical priesthood, and it, it wasn't 
to enrich people. It was for a people who had no inheritance of their own. Okay? Can I ask a question yeah. before you finish? Um, so also, like, a lot of, uh, you know, modern-day preachers will say that the offering part, they, they, you know, say that tithing is for today, and then they say the offering part is the money that you give to the church above your, above your tithe. So they're asking for even more. But the offerings in the Old Testament... Correct me if I'm wrong, were like the sin offerings, the thank offering, all these very, very many types of offerings. But it wasn't referring to, again, money to give. Now, they probably gave some money, I think, to Solomon when they were building the temple. They did give some money for that as an offering. So there were times that offerings were uh, monetary. But I just think it's sad that it's. In modern day church, that's used as another up you one. You know, now it's 10%, but you also got to give offerings to the church when the offerings he was talking about were a part of that Levitical priesthood again, where they, you know, did and all that's kinds the of thing. Again, a lot of, a lot of what's being taught about tithes is just used to manipulate people, to frighten people, to coerce people into giving. And I just want to end with this in 2 Corinthians 9. Because this is the uh, main scripture in the New Testament on giving. In verse 2, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He says, For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not may not be made empty in this case, so that, as, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, now he's talking about giving to poor churches. Not to speak of you will put be put to shame by this confidence. So, if, so I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift. Now, this is a church that already promised. We're going to give you money to help these poor people. He says, uh, and not affected by covetousness. Now, he doesn't say not affected by poverty, does he? He said, I want you to give what you, what you promised to give out of, out of your, your bounty and don't be affected by greed or covetousness. He says, now say he who sows so sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he is purposed in his own heart. Listen to this, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And I submit to you that whenever we put a fixed amount upon people, that creates a compulsion. And the thing is, is again, we're we're not by bound by ten percent, by fifteen percent, by twenty percent, right? Sometimes God calls us and, and says, "I want you to help your poor neighbor," right? And there are times, times when 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 God calls us to make sacrifices and things, but again. Which which is which is better to give to someone that you know is starving, someone that can't pay their bills, someone that can't 
can't provide for themselves. They can't work because they've been injured or something like that. And, and they're going to lose their house. Which is better, to give to this person or to give to this to well church that's well that spends thousands of dollars in their electricity bill alone? Where the pastor lives like a king and he has jets and cars and houses and all, which is better in the sight of God to give to? To tithe to this church or to give to this poor person? Amen? Amen. Hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, in about a week or two, Dean will be uploading the continuation of the series on tithing. Um, <clears throat> the next time he uploads, it'll probably be a week or two. Be looking out for that. Um, if you subscribe, you'll get a notification. Um, he will be talking about um, Melchizedek um, in Hebrews. There's only two, t- two times that tithing is mentioned in the New Testament, even though it's countless times mentioned in the Old Testament. It is mentioned two times in the New Testament, but Dean's going to talk about those, and we're going to unpack that scripturally, contextually. Um, one of those times will be um, he'll be discussing um, Abraham tithing to Melchizedek. That is talked about in the book of Hebrews. Um, Also in the Gospels, um, Jesus had a discussion with the Pharisees about tithing. So Dean will be talking about that as well. Um, If you guys um, have any questions or comments, please, please send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Um, Other than that, I hope you enjoy this particular episode and that you come along and and, and finish it out. We will round out the um, series with a um, good teaching and unpacking of what God does require of us as far as giving. Is it a requirement? Is it a request? Is it is it a wish? How, what does God expect and desire from us as his people in the area of giving? And what are some ideas and ways that we can give, whether that giving is to a single mom in our church, um, the next door neighbor, that um his car is broken down or it's our pastor. Um, how, how does God want us to give and how, what are ideas and ways in which we can give and give abundantly? So um, follow through to the end and I think you'll enjoy it. Thanks a lot, you guys.